This is White Scar's Team Up. Hello, dear listeners, and welcome back to our special segment of Through the Window, White Scarves Team-Up. This is the one that you've all been waiting for? I don't know. It's definitely the one of the ones that Toby and I have been hoping and praying that would eventually become available to us. Toby has confided in me that this was the interview that he was most looking forward to, and fortunately... Her situation has cleared up enough that she has had the time and the energy to come spend some time with us. I would like to welcome to the podcast our favorite tiger, Lorian Foley. Hello. <laughs> yes, that was Toby squeeing in the background there. That's <laughs> if it was in the background, I wasn't doing my job properly. That should be in the <laughs> foreground. <laughs> Maureen, thank you very much for responding, first of all, and giving us a little bit of your time. We have now completed the set, I guess you could say, because we did Spencer a couple months back with with the presumption that, you know, if you're going to round out Tiger's Eye with someone, then we should at least do it with the voice of Haka, especially as we ended up getting into a lot deeper discussion on how significant it was to have Haka become the third protagonist of Tiger's Eye in a way that Toby and I had never really discussed before. But now we have the primary voice of that book, as well as a lot of other important characters along the oeuvre of New Century, to sit down and talk with us about some of those experiences inhabiting those characters, what it's like to be a voice actor, and your feelings about the experience of New Century in general. As with all our interviewees, we'd like to start at the beginning. Mm-hmm. According to the website, you first got into contact with Alex in response to a request for voice actors way back in the pre-cartographer's handbook days, back before he wasn't calling it that, I guess. Uh, according to Alex, you auditioned and the rest was history, but I'd like to hear more from you about the nitty-gritty, such as what your audition was like, do you know if you were picked specifically for the role of Tabitha Chorley, and whether your first voice acting role was New Century or otherwise, as well as if you'd had any dramatic experience previous to this. Sorry, that was a mouthful. Ah, no, that's okay. That's okay. Um, I actually was going over with uh, someone recently about how I got into involved in the project. I'll save the like six degrees of Kevin Bacon preamble because that is unnecessary but I got into the orbit let's say Mm -hmm. I found out about Alex's podcasts whatever they were called back then digital gonzo cowboys whatever um back then and was a fan of his podcast and you may want to check with Alex before you release this just FYI he had put something out about an audiobook called Blue Sun. Mm. Mm. And I really enjoyed it. And I remember commenting on it on some website that I don't even know if it exists anymore. But it was like, you know, you could comment on that particular thing. And I commented on it and I was like raving about it. And I was like, this is so great. 
And it was like the pre-cartographer's handbook mm-hmm. book. That does sound about right based on what I've heard, yeah. Okay. And so he reached out to me, and I probably still have the email because I save everything. I'm a digital pack rat. <laughs> um, he sent me an email maybe a year after I had commented, and he was like, you know, thank you for being a fan of the book, and da-da-da-da-da, and I've, I've revamped it, and I've rewritten it, and it's a new thing now, and if you're interested, here's the synopsis, and blah, blah, blah. And I was jazzed that he'd reached out to me, and I was like, oh, that's awesome, I'm very excited. By the by, if you ever need an American female voice for any project at all ever, let me know. I'd be down to help mm-hmm. you out. And his response was basically, funny, you should mention that. <laughs> <laughs> Have some scripts. Would you like to audition? Mm-hmm. So he sent me two of them. Um, one of them, I don't remember even what the name was. But it was actually recast as a male character because I did not get that one. And the other one was Tabitha. So I auditioned for both. And I really, I kind of resonated with Tabitha a bit. I also have a fascination with bones um, mm. and, the, and the sort of weird, morbid things. Mm. And, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say I have a lot of experience with drama per se, although I have stage performance um, background for music I do a lot I've done a lot of like singing and well not so much anymore asterisk more Mm. on that later but I I used to sing a lot perform on stage I used to do a lot of piano um, percussion bands blah blah so I've done a lot of up on stage performances public speaking I've done you know, different sort of performance like that, where I've done, you know, stories and and whatnot in like high school, you know, performance, that sort of thing. Not plays per se, but but other sort of dramatis public speaking. Mm -hmm. Never been shy or afraid of public speaking. My dad was a politician of sorts. My brother's an actor. Like, it's kind of in the blood. So we... Mm -hmm. I have a bunch of teachers in my family, like we're not afraid to be up in front of people or, you know, taking charge of a room. So I was not a a stranger to that. Auditioning was fine. Um, And so when he came back and said Tabitha would be great, let's do that. And kind of the rest was, as you say, history. And I Mm -hmm. think as I got more comfortable and more confident and more competent in my abilities with voice acting, so too did the roles expand and then you know alex then said hey there's this purple tiger role (laughs) what do you you think about taking the lead on a book and then bada bing bada boom rawr um suddenly i was an eight foot tall purple tiger and and so that worked out pretty well yeah (laughs) like and suddenly i morphed and i was (laughs) and i became and it was that was one of the best best experiences, um, mm-hmm. becoming becoming Harrow, and then subsequently Sarah Arlington was the other like major major role that I had. Mm-hmm. This applies to everyone we've interviewed, but there are absolutely, I think, some really special roles that just uh, <laughs> I associate with you and uh, Harrow, not only, but you know, you've got uh, Sarah Arlington, and maybe it's the fact that like I'm engaged to someone called Sarah so just <laughs> having this character who no. is this source of like 
wisdom and compassion is just something that resonates I guess Mm -hmm. but then it extends to all these other things it's just yeah it's a special repertoire to be sure Mm -hmm. but um yeah uh moving on to the next question when Tabitha is first introduced she's one tale among many relating to the audience how she manages to justify her faith in God with the calamity that has befallen humanity mm-hmm. but as she returns to the story again and again she becomes more and more of her own person as we find out what else matters to her besides her faith that we're introduced to her as her ambitions her simple pleasures and eventually her role as a friend and mentor to more than one woman throughout the first yeah. phase of new century so how did your understanding of her change as Alex kept giving her more to do, adding to her identity, giving her more to say, and you inhabited the role that helped to shape all your work going forwards? I mean, I think, speaking just for myself, and I don't want to sound like a, I don't even know what the word is I want to say, but like presumptuous twat, um, I... Is this a cut? Is it, it's sorry. perfectly could, okay. okay. Our Deep. podcast is listed. <laughs> yeah, you can swear Our podcast is listed as explicit. Okay, mm. nice. Okay, yeah. so damn shit. <laughs> shit, piss, fuck, cunt, cocksucker, motherfucker, and tits. So I, there's certain things that I bring into the roles that I have been given, even if they don't completely line up with who I am as a person. I was raised very religious and have since become not so. <laughs> but my mother is still very. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I, I sort of draw from people I know, especially when I did the first go around with her and, and she was speaking about her faith. I was channeling my mother mm-hmm. more than anything mm-hmm. else because my mom's faith is so strong. And mine is sort of non-existent, but, mm-hmm. but I, re- I really admire my mom and her faith because uh, it is basically unshakable. Mm-hmm. So, and so as I w- you know, certain aspects of Tabitha and other characters, you know, were easier to sort of bring in to it, the ambition side of it, I think the sexuality side of it. Mm-hmm. Wink, wink, we'll wink, get into wink, that. Yeah. Wink, wink. <laughs> um, we're definitely I'm saying them all, saying them all. Yeah, I <laughs> know what I mean, know what I mean. Um, that was a little easier to bring in. The family childbirth thing, less so. Mm. But mm-hmm. I have, again, I'm from a huge family, and I have lots of nieces and nephews, and I have lots of, like, ties to children. So it was easy to sort of pull from that aspect of it, even though it wasn't directly related to me. Well, I mean, directly related, yes, but not, didn't actually have any of them. So, you know, there's a picking and choosing aspects. um, And then what is maybe not as familiar, I can still glean some ideas from people I know or circumstances I've seen to sort of weave into the character Mm. as I create it. And obviously... Obviously, Alex is a phenomenal director, so he'll let me know if I'm falling flat in an area and punch it up, you know. He, he's very good at uh, responding to a, 
a take that I do with notes on more or less or this or that, or you're pronouncing this British word wrong with your American voice. So <laughs> I remember actually hearing from one of the series of blooper reels that you had. Well, you had a number of problems with a couple of words, but the one that uh, stands out the most was Megastetherium. Yep. <laughs> I also I mispronounced mean, um, uh, Thames as Thames. Did I did, hear that? Didn't he work that into the script, though, that he just had all of his American actors deliberately misvoice British words and terms? Probably, but boy, howdy, the first time I said it, he was like, what did you just say? <laughs> I was like, thanks. And he was like, that is not how that's said. Like, I, well, that's how it's written. Yeah, no, <laughs> like, in your defense, you haven't been conditioned to the nonsense that is just perpetuated all around here. It's like, yeah, of course the thing with an H in it is not, it's not even Thames. Like, like Thames is a good river there. It's not, but it's not phonetic. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> Crap. I'm a no, uncultured not... gank. <laughs> Clearly. No, you're not just you're just not say a freaking insane Brit. That's the problem. <laughs> we just have our in... idiosyncrasies here, so you know. Yeah. Just put a little note here. I'm just gonna add in the clip of uh Eddie Izzard uh and how they pronounce certain words in in his in his famous skit. Uh, you say basil, we say basil, and you say herbs, and we say herbs, because there's a fucking H in it. <laughs> but you spell through, T-H-R-U, and I'm with you on that, because we spell it thruff. <laughs> and that's trying to cheat at Scrabble. <laughs> How can we get that ooh sound? Well, a U will work. What about an O as well? No, we don't need it, we're fine. No, I think an O in. Well, all right. And a G as well. What? Yes, a G would be good. G sound. Yes, we need a, a silent G just in the background in case of any accidents or something. <laughs> well, all right. And an H as well. Fucking hell, hang on. An H in case some herbs come along. <laughs> all right. And a Q and a P and a Z. Uh. <laughs> yeah. I would. I've, I've now learned where I, if I'm starting to say something, I'm like, I don't know if this is going to be pronounced correctly. You'll tell me. Yeah. Mm. Phonetics. Think, Give me the I phonetics. Think, yeah. <laughs> I think that was actually in there in, in the blooper reel at one point. It was just, or maybe it was somebody. Oh, no. Now I remember. It was one of Spencer's things where he was recording lines. I think it was in particular for the nag. And oh. he like. He's, he wasn't sure if you pronounced a particular word one way or another, so he recorded it both, both ways uh-huh. and then included in the nag's voice. I know you'll tell me which one of them is the right way, so I'm just yeah. going to do it both ways. <laughs> <laughs> you get to that point where you're just like, yeah, okay, I don't know. This is just whatever. Just have all the takes. Just have all of it. <laughs> and in your defense, who the hell is saying Megastotherium on a regular enough basis I to be familiar mean... with it? What even is that? Like, I, mm, <laughs> what? But yeah, no, I, there's, yeah. <laughs> I come across words in the script and I'm like, are you kidding me with this nonsense? Like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> Who says that? Who throws issue? Honestly, uh, like, come on. You, apparently. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> oh, you're gonna. <laughs> well, 
all right then <laughs> i'm expanding my vocabulary every day so yeah what even is a gibbet <laughs> you know, as much as we joke, I'm actually still not quite sure. Right. <laughs> I should really look that up because I don't think I'm allowed to laugh if I'm like, then I was given a script, I would make the exact same mistake. Yeah, well, you know, it happens. It happens. Okay, so of all the characters you've played, I would say that Greta is the most enigmatic, though Melaine could be a close second but uh, luckily they're a lot more open to interaction and conversation so you at least get the feeling that you're getting to know them but uh Greta's true nature and abilities are big rug pull moments in both secret rooms and uncivil outlaw and as such there's a lot of weight behind the few times we do hear Greta speak and see characterization coming directly from her so what's the most important aspect of Greta's character that you try to convey in your performance as her? I'm trying to like cast myself back. So at the time that I recorded Greta, I was involved with someone who was a f- first generation German immigrant, mm. second generation German. Oh, wow. no, okay, so very relevant to uh, the yeah. way. Yeah, yeah. And so her accent was pulled from my partner's parents, like, oh. tone and speaking. Mm-hmm. She, she was nothing like them. I mean, <laughs> clearly, they didn't have mystical abilities, but mm-hmm. um, I That's was... you're aware of. Yeah, well, you know. So that was one of the things that I was really focusing on was kind of this otherworldly aspect because the stories I'd heard about the immigration and how that had all played out and just the I'm just going to sort of gloss over some of that stuff with the partner but you know um, she seemed almost to be I mean well she was not of this world but Mm -hmm. also she was of this world she was Mm -hmm. a grounded character but there was something so like you could feel her weight, but you couldn't touch her. Mm-hmm. It, she was so real to me because she was so like what what I had imagined some of things I'd heard about, like from my ex um, and like her family history. And I sort of brought that into Greta to give her some grounding in the reality of it. And then Mm -hmm. bearing in mind that she was really untouchable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a hard way to describe it, but she was a hard character to to describe. Well, (laughs) I'm, I'm actually just sitting here stunned because the way you described that, that you could feel her weight, but you couldn't touch her is almost the, perfect i've never really heard it described so perfectly for her she is this person who holds this immense power but you it you get the feeling in her like characterization that that's not just because she has mystical abilities under the surface it's because there is this strength to her 
character to the way that she holds herself that you really do there is something very captivating about Greta and her voice and this was this was before this came out I think yes Mm -hmm. it's really hard for me to like time is very strange this past like year like everything has seemed Mm. to not be time is a strange concept but I think it kind of makes me think of the mirror dimension from Doctor Strange. Mm. Oh, yeah. And, the, um, oh, my God, Tilda Swinton's character. Oh, the uh, ancient one. The ancient one. I was like, the holy one, the bald one, what's her name? <laughs> the, <laughs> the bald one. one. <laughs> I, I couldn't remember Krieger's name a minute ago. There's something in the water. I know. I'm like, the... the... <laughs> Androgynous one? What is her name? No, um, the ancient one. <laughs> the, um, <laughs> you know, whatever. It's, it's, it's still this one. But it's kind of that where when it's in the mirror dimension, like you can see them, but they're just off like slightly mm, from where yeah. you are. So like if you reached out, it's like your hand would pass through them, but they're not even there. But they're there, but they're not even there. Like at it's I, I like it's hurting my brain to think about because that mm. movie also hurt my brain a little bit, <laughs> but <laughs> in the best possible way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's that's kind of where, like, she would I could see Tilda Swinton playing her, except not. But also like that kind of character of like mysticism, and sort of ambiguity and yeah, that kind of ancient one energy. Yeah, I'm. I'm loving this because this is uh, exactly what I always hope to get from each interview is just this renewed appreciation for like, Mm -hmm. and this is why we put together questions that aren't just like, it's not a dozen crowd questions because you've (laughs) played many characters and Greta (laughs) (laughs) Greta just does have that. And I feel like, as you said, it's hard to describe her because she is at a distance but i think that the what we've been what you've been touching on here is exactly what it is that she is someone in something that's present enough that you see her but is absent enough that you don't see all of her yeah like the edges are fuzzy yeah one of the things we ended up covering over our our retrospective of secret rooms is that Greta doesn't actually speak all that much during that story. Most of what we get off of her is represented through how Krieger responds to her, how he deliberately calls her a a word in German that translates to non-human woman, and, of course, how she is represented when she opens up the gateway to the Red Forest. But in Uncivil Outlaw unexpected to both of us because you weren't sure uh i didn't even realize at the time that you were the one voicing greta in secret rooms but that was made clearer when we heard the audio drama from uncivil outlaw is that you actually took a front seat role in doing as much of the engaging with abigail and james to explain some of the backstory to how things came to be where they were Mm -hmm. so that's where we get the bulk of your presenting greta 
which I think is particularly important at that point because the way Secret Rooms framed it, it felt like Krieger was the one trying to maintain some form of control over everything out of arrogance or whatever, or out of even just protectiveness of Greta. But here, she and you get to come more forward to the front as you sort of override Krieger a little bit and tell them what you think they need to know. Yeah. She had a lot of power and she, mm-hmm. she, there's a certain, there's a certain beauty in people, but I'm going to say, especially women who have a lot of power and know it mm. and don't feel the need to explicitly show it. And they sort of just sit back and just exist in their power Mm. when you see examples of their power it feels like the smallest but most deliberate sort of flicking or tensing of a muscle just a like when at the end of uncivil outlaw abigail is about to go after them or say like you know we're not finished here and it's just a single action of through a window you go and it's just a it's so smooth and yeah as you say it's something that happens with a certainty of their own ability Mm -hmm. yeah there's a certain beauty in that where it's like no i don't i hmm not that i keep bringing it back to marvel or anything (laughs) (laughs) but um in uh captain marvel one of my absolute like chef's kiss Yes. scene is when poor Jude Law um, <laughs> he was trying to like he's like no we're gonna fight raw and she just punches him like no I have nothing I have to prove to you like <laughs> sit down like just stop it go away I just I don't oh, like his whole bravado and she just basically bitch smacks him into a rock and it's like <laughs> Oh, sweetie, thank God. Like, I, you, because they could have had that play, that scene played up where she was like, Yeah, let's do it. And she was just like, I don't got time for this crap. Like, <laughs> no, just sit down. Sweetie, I just blew up an entire armada. Like, <laughs> Please. <laughs> this, oh. <laughs> like, this just... registers as a, like, like a blip on my radar. <laughs> yeah, you are so not important. Like, just get in the ship and go home. Like, nah, yeah. you're just done. I can't go back empty-handed. Like, you're not. Just shut mm. up. Look, in a movie's oh, time, I'm going to take a headbutt from an Infinity Gauntlet wearing Thanos and n- no-sell it. So, you know, eh. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're fine, dude. Law. Go play Dumbledore. It's fine. Go go away. <laughs> <laughs> you're all right you're still pretty it's fine uh, you'll you'll be fine no. <laughs> you'll get other roles uh, <laughs> but yeah like that was such a good moment because it was just this like affirming of like no you mm. no i don't have i don't have to prove anything to you like i don't owe you a damn thing son like you know and it was just oh 
I think I cheered. I was not in the theater. I was at home, and I was just like, yeah! That's that's how you know it's good, is when you're not in a, like, cheer-inducing environment, and you're still, like, you know, oh, this is, like, getting a reaction. Like, if you can believe it, I saw Avengers for the first time on a DVD. <laughs> I know. I I was not in a I was not in a cinema. I was at home and I like even so I was getting very hyped with all of those seeing all of those scenes for the first time and that and I think that's what like New Century definitely does a good job at creating those kind of moments like uh, by contrast the sort of Jude Law challenging Poor Jude Law. I don't even remember his character's name. It's he's just Jude Law, but um, <laughs> he challenges Captain Marvel, and you have in Steamheart when Abigail is like, "Hey, <laughs> hey, crowd, one v one me, bro," and it's like, "Okay," and that, <laughs> that's uh, one of those moments that it's like, oh, yeah, "Yeah, you know what?" And I think the energy of that fight is this is not about Abigail feeling if she can beat Rao because I think we all know that this like it's not impossible it's just that the odds aren't in her favor but it becomes much more of a fight about like what can you prove and it's why like I think one of my favorite um, this is going in so many tangents but you know I will try to keep them fast tangents uh, but one of my favorite fights in an anime is in Hunter Hunter and I won't put the context of the scene together, but there's this character who far outranks this little kid protagonist. And the fight is not about him, the little kid, trying to beat him. It is just, I want to land a hit on him. And the energy of the fight is just this like flowing of motion and everything. And the episode culminates and he lands that hit. And you go, yes! And you know, the rest of the fight happens and he gets his butt handed to him. But, like, the point is that a fight is not just about, like, who comes out on top. It's about what, like, each person is trying to achieve and if they achieve it. That's what I like about these moments in New Century where, like, the the stakes of the fight are put in there, where it's personal stakes of, I want to see if I can do this, or... I don't need to beat this person. I just need to be able to get this to happen. Okay, and while you've cl- you've completely uh, made us go quiet here with that conversation, <laughs> <laughs> after many and, tangents. Yeah, exactly. Well, that that uh, all all of a sudden that interruption just sort of uh, sidelined any previous conversation. Obviously, I'm a huge captain marvel fan and have been prior to the movie even coming out so i was just as appreciative of that whole sequence in terms of i don't understand the people who say that that movie is somehow not living up to carol's hype or anything like that i feel like it was exactly what it needed to be particularly since this was the first opportunity for a female hero to properly shine in the MCU. We still don't even have the Black Widow movie that was promised to us because of COVID. But to be perfectly honest, the character of Carol Danvers was the right face and story to put behind 
the importance of a woman coming into her own power and the only abilities that a man has to respond to that is he doesn't have power to match it. He has to somehow maintain control over Carol by gaslighting. And by the end, uh, he can't do that anymore. She's like, nope, fuck you. I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> I I do uh, appreciate in many ways that, I mean, I think that it was going to go this way anyway, because if the original plan was that Black Widow would be the first thing to come out. But if things were out of skew and they were originally going to do uh, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier first or whatever, the fact is that we started with Division and how that has played out. Yes. I can't assume that everyone present has watched all of that yet, just in case. But um, I have not... <laughs> That's fine. It's very good. Uh, I've heard. But... I've heard good things. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, both of but... us would definitely recommend it to you because mm. it, first of all, it puts Wanda front and center in a way that she has never been in any of the movies. She has always been a side character, mm. right. and it, that means that it focuses not only on a woman of power but on her grief which has yeah. also always been a side thing to it. And that's that's a topic that you should be intimately familiar with mm -hmm. since it's a major mm -hmm. part of Froud's story as well. Mm -hmm. And so far, the overall consensus is, is that they stick the landing in terms of trying to tell that story. So, yeah, yeah, yeah highly recommended. I do like Paul Bettany quite a lot. <laughs> He's great. Oh, you're going to love this. Yes. So, he... um, I, I don't want to... I don't want to keep us from the, the main interview questions, but I do want to make a side note. Um, you might want to cut this from the the main interview and even from the outtakes because it's, okay. well, this is a source of shame. Deep, deep shame. That's okay. Um, I still haven't seen the last two Avengers movies. Oh. So I'm not watching WandaVision until I've watched the last two Avengers movies. I know what happens. I have been spoiled because mm, of course I have. Yeah, it's <laughs> because the internet point. exists. Uh, so I know I, what happens, but, but I, I still haven't seen them. And I It is. I will never like and I'm being completely serious here. I will never judge anyone for taking as much time as they need to get around to a series that they mm have some level of investment in because I, I stand by that Doctor Who is my favorite ongoing <laughs> series or like TV of like mm. series thing. It's one of the my favorite things. Back when the 50th anniversary was happening, I decided to spend a year just watching the backlog of every episode and I, it meant that I was watching it at like breakfast and lunch and dinner for like a full year in preparation because I knew I was going to do a series of articles the monthly anniversary was happening and I don't think I've seen and it's not through any like sort of disinterest in um, any of the creative team involved it's just out of like life just happening to mm. not take me in that direction I haven't seen the last couple of seasons and I know that I'll be really invested when I do. But like to me, I hate it whenever you have this, oh, you haven't seen this movie, but you're the movie guy we all know. And to the yeah. point where I actually started this series of articles called Late to the Party because mm. oh. the, 
yeah like the whole point is that we shouldn't feel like uh things have a shelf life or that you have to have not only seen a film but have known about it for years it's just a fallacy that like not everyone has the same library of references so and not everybody has happened to make the time to see this thing but that doesn't like challenge their attachment or anything it's just life happens exactly and everyone listening to this show knows that you know i I think new century is pretty good it's uh, pretty fun um but it took me a while to get round to finishing panther soul and uh, stone spring maidens after the books came out because just life had gotten the way so i needed to make the time for it anyway i'm getting away from things i don't (laughs) think that we will have to cut this from the outtakes but uh if if we are really dead set on it, I will. I know one way to guarantee that this will never be aired. <clears throat> <laughs> Captain America, suck! <laughs> I didn't mean it. I'm sorry. <laughs> you yeah. clearly haven't listened to all of our other interviews with Loretta and Matt and Spencer and everything because we constantly go off on geek tangents so this is this is this this is operating as intended right now oh no 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 i didn't mean that part of it i just meant i know i get a lot of flack for not having caught up on all the marvel stuff because of the people that that froth at the mouth and say i can't believe you haven't caught up on you know and i yeah i don't expect our audience like we're even smaller than Alex's, which feels huge at times. So I, I can't imagine that you would get any flack for that. Okay. Honestly, you may have been the, the the smarter person in the bargain because the rest of us had to live with the dagger to the heart that was Infinity War for an entire year before we could get that resolved. So in theory, yeah. you could take care of that all in one night when you get around to it (laughs) yeah Yeah. i mean i i know and i i have disney plus and i i will i will see it it's just again it's like you said it's you know making the time and and life getting in the way and and Mm -hmm. things happen and you're like do i do i want to sit down and and dedicate the time right now or do i want to do x number of other things that are kind of like more in line with actually existing as a human (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like food that's, that's shelter priority work. One. That's- <laughs> <laughs> so anyway i think there's this funny experience that is uh, when you know that there's no doubt about whether or not you will get to it because sometimes mm-hmm. if you have something you think oh, if i don't make the time for it i know i'll never get around to it so that kind of spurs you into it but mm-hmm. if there's no doubt that at one point you're going to sit down with it i think that kind of relieves the tension of having to go see it. It's just like, no, I I will. I will. It's And then one night you get the pleasure of going like, yeah, I guess tonight is the night I see Infinity War or like that first season that I missed of Doctor Who or something. That would be a busy night. Um, (laughs) Yeah. 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 I, I, I will just touch on the fact that I am familiar with Doctor Who as a concept I've seen a couple episodes and it's one of those things where I'm a completionist mm, and oh I God. do not have the time nor the energy to start because mm-hmm. I know 
what I will, what it'll, it will consume my soul. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I just can't do it right now. Cause I know, I know how much there is and it's very <laughs> daunting. And it's like, my best friend is a, is a, a huge fan. And so I've caught episodes when I'm over, like hanging out at their house again, pre COVID. And so I, I know like of it. And I obviously I'm familiar with like all of the, the bits and pieces of it and the fandom and like K9 and TARDIS and things and weeping angels and whatnot. But I just, you know, every time I start to think, I really want to get into this. I'm like, Oh, where do I want to start? Do I want to start at the very beginning? No, (laughs) (laughs) because there's just so much. It's just Mm -hmm. so scary. Oh, there's so much. Uh... Once upon a time you could get away with saying, Oh, just start with the 2005 revival series and go on from that. Even that's intimidating now. Like even that. (laughs) And I think that it's just one of those moments of I this may go like be a complete non sequitur, but the thought occurred and I have to get it out there is that I guess Doctor Who is the one piece of British sci fi. <laughs> the show like, that's been around forever and yeah, a billion like, iterations. Well, or just like it's technically still the same continuity, and it's like, hey, do you want to be get in and be a fan and have that satisfaction of being like, hey, I know that like uh, this feels like a callback to that thing that happened thirty years ago, nine hundred chapters back, and it's that sort of thing. I'm like, no, like I have stuff to do. <laughs> I need to like shower and eat and, and see people and see the sun at some point, and also. I want to use that Captain America reference of I understood that reference, <laughs> but you know it's like yeah no, yeah it's I I I know enough about Doctor Who to be dangerous and to know what to buy for Christmas, so <laughs> 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 like you want to about a canine unit? Gotcha. Okay, I got you. <laughs> I got you, fam. Yeah, exactly. I will get you a canine unit. Also, how about bow ties? Bow ties are cool. So. <laughs> Anyway, yes, so. we've had a we've had a good run here of just taking a moment to laugh and enjoy ourselves, which is important, I think, because we're the next question is a little bit <laughs> oh boy serious and daunting. Yeah. yeah, as alluded to before, we've had a chance to share the piece that you recorded long ago for the Tiger's Eye Roundtable. Uh, we included that as part of uh, part one of our final look at Tiger's Eye, and. I'm not sure what there is more to say on why Hrau is the defining moment of your voice acting work, except that we are curious how you came to this place where you inhabited Hrau so fully, if it was a a gradual thing or if it was something that clicked very early in the process. Hmm. I think... I think it came pretty easy and early on. I mean, a lot of the voice acting was actually me and my voice as Mm. is now. And Alex just manipulated it to sound like it was coming from a bigger creature. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have to pitch it in a certain way. I didn't have to do any accents or anything like that, really. I modulated it a bit and enunciated it a bit. And I, you know, I sort of, talked slower but otherwise didn't change anything i didn't affect an accent or 
try to put on a character per se. Um, Harau, because she was so, so not in our reality, she could be wholly herself and therefore I could just be her. Like Sarah, you know, is a mother and is in this historical piece. And so there was some allowances I had to make for that part of it. And Tabitha, again, there was some sort of historical basis for her character. So it was less a, um, a matter of just becoming a character because I had to be mindful of the world that they were in that is grounded in some reality that people are familiar with, whereas Rao was just so out of left field that I had nothing that I had to worry about as far as grounding it in reality because she wasn't. Mm -hmm. So I could ground her in myself and the reality was me that I grounded her in. And so her characterization came from my mind and my just the words and I don't, it was so strange like it felt like putting on a like an old familiar coat mm. of fur but ethically sourced um <laughs> <laughs> purple if you will um but putting it on this very like well-fitting coat and it just she was there and and it was just like oh there you are okay let's go and it and it just was so easy in a sense to just run with it because she fell out of my mouth when I was talking. It's a it's like it sounds kind of creepy and like ish, but not. Mm-hmm. But it would it just felt so natural to become this sort of broken person. Uh, mm. tiger person because uh, even though none of our experiences were the same a lot of them were the same mm. so I could draw from some of my own stuff <laughs> and you know sense of loss and, and some experiences that I'd had with people um, to to pull that into it and so yeah, I don't know. She was just she was just there, kind of under the skin, mm-hmm. which is ironically what my tattoo looks like. <laughs> it looks like um like there's there's. Did you see a picture of it? Is there a picture of it? No, not not on the website. No, and I okay. wasn't sure if it was pers- too personal to no. ask to see. So no, I'll have to find one because <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't have it handy. But it looks like, and it was designed by Antonio. Really? Um, yeah. Oh God. Okay. So when we finally get Antonio on the webs on the podcast, I'm going to have to, wow. Okay. Ask about that. Yeah. 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 I still have the emails. So yeah, it was designed by Antonio because Alex was kind enough to ask him if he would. Um, And it looks like it's supposed to look like I reached over my shoulder and clawed my skin and there's purple fur poking through. Mm, So So she's right under the surface. And then the gouges turn into the letters of my name. So it's H-R-A-O at the top. Hmm. It's really cool. Yeah, (laughs) really cool. Oh, my God. It's really cool. I was really excited when that came out. So, yeah, it's 
it's a really neat kind of experience because it's she's a part of me she's always been a part of me since the character was mm-hmm. created and as soon as I voiced her she just was there and that's why I wanted the tattoo is to show that she's always kind of underneath the surface of me and so that's yeah I think that for me there's so many like with every person we interview they do such great work with bringing characters to life and just like feeling like they're fully realized and what's special about Frau something that comes across even if there's no knowledge of the behind the scenes stuff or the people who are responsible for bringing these characters to life what comes through with Frau is that there is this symbiosis between like the synergy between you and Prowl where there's very little division between mm. you two that they're really this is this is why I maintain that you may insist that you are not a eight foot purple tiger. <laughs> I'm I'm I remain unconvinced. I believe that uh, even if the appearance is not that uh, mm-hmm. spiritually, emotionally I you are 100% Tiger. Mm-hmm. I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> We're going to go on an anime tangent, and then we'll just say that Harau is Marine Stand. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty good one. Um, <laughs> purple Rain. <laughs> <laughs> I do know that, in, well, I guess there's been a, a complicated process sometimes where he'll you know, he's written the book or whatever, and sometimes he'll end up going back and changing script, um, particularly in regards to fleshing out certain aspects of the audio drama mm. to make it work better for that medium rather than um, the way the novel itself is written out. But I, and in, like in some cases with some characters, the stories that we end up hearing, particularly in the case of, say, Matt and the way that he inhabited Oberon, it just made me think, did he write this character for Matt to inhabit? Because there's so much synchronicity in the experiences that he himself has had in his normal life that make it very easy to inhabit that role. It just makes me wonder if there were changes made to the story that you know of that Alex drew on to make the lines between yourself and Haral less to, to, to make the barrier thinner or anything like that? Am I I'm on a wrong tangent or was there a, any kind of collaborative I part of working with him on that? I don't know. Um, I think because we didn't actually know each other that well. Mm-hmm. We got to know each other better during Tiger's Eye, clearly. Mm-hmm. Um having worked so much on it i don't recall necessarily if he drew i mean i don't know that he knew a lot about mm. me to draw from um if you're spe- if you're thinking about one particular scene no just okay <laughs> the, 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 <clears throat> i don't know the, the significance is that when i went back and listened to your experience of tiger's eye and, you know, of course, all that was Alex editing in music and everything like that in order to add to the overall emotional weight of it. But it just 
felt intensely personal in a way that I, I didn't expect. And, and as I've said with, you know, Loretta's experience um, voicing Annie and Harry, how she drew on different parts of her life in order to realize those characters uh, and Matt with Oberon in particular, I just found myself curious, especially when it sounds like Alex had gone through a couple different iterations of how he would direct all of you. Sometimes you would just send in the lines and sometimes he would actually be on Skype with you if he was trying to draw out something specific. I'm just, you know, just, I don't know, curious about how, Um, how it feels that, that these, these, these things come out so strongly when it it seems like there's a, a level of remove between everything. It's not like, He's a director on set and mm, mm-hmm. watching things happen in real time and able to to flesh things out that way. And yet it all seems to work so well together. I think that, and again, this is casting my mind back a few years. I think that I, as I really came into the character, I became more confident in saying, I don't think this is how she would say this or I don't think this is what she would do in the situation or I think this might this seems a little off so I would bring things up to him or I would or I would um, improvise takes where you know he would send me something and I would say okay I'll do it the way you say it or I'll do it the way you've written it but also I think this would be better mm-hmm. not often obviously because I don't want to be that presumptuous um, mm-hmm. of, uh, like a diva actress, like I'll be in my trailer. Um, but <laughs> I still be a I, big uh, trailer for her. <laughs> so big, giant. Um, but she, but like, but she. Hmm. Now I'm speaking in third person. The royal we. Um, <laughs> but you know, it became something where I think he got a sense of how I spoke and how, therefore, it would carry over into her speaking because it was something that was more natural and I think that it was more of a collaborative effort and I think again I may not be completely remembering this like 100% but he did make reference to the fact that he created the character but I sort of breathed life into her and Mm -hmm. a lot of her out is from my input and from my portrayal of her and so would she would not be the same character without my playing her she would have come across differently and and may have gone a different trajectory in the books potentially if if I had played her if a different person had played her or if I had played her differently um so I think that's part of it um again I don't know that he was as familiar with who I am you know like back back when I was recording for how um I don't know that Alex knew a lot about me necessarily and maybe I'm wrong maybe he internet stalked me I don't know um (laughs) could be but I again I don't know that you know a lot of the like deep emotional stuff that I pulled into playing Rao is not stuff that you would see on Facebook or Instagram um and it wasn't stuff that I would have been sharing with anybody really except like a therapist but like (laughs) you know so it was I don't yeah I think a lot of it was maybe input like interactive input during the rewrites and the and the direction and, and all of that 
because um, there was a lot of back and forth and back and forth where I would do a take and give my feedback on it and then he would have it and he would say yes or no change this do this you know you're right that's better he very rarely said that but every so often you know he'd be like yeah you're right that was this is this is a better way of of doing it and so you know there was that give and take during the process that allowed for the character to be rounded out more thoroughly yeah no that that that's that that's more or less what i was uh trying to get at i i don't know it Alex has always come across as being a particularly emotionally intuitive and, and sensitive person. So it could just be that, you know, that there is some level of just being able to sense these things. I don't know. It, he, I've called him a wizard before. I don't know that he's not a wizard. I don't have any proof. Um. <laughs> I was like, I'm not worried. I'm not sure where you're going to go with that con- comment. And I'm very curious. <laughs> like Alex is very, I'm like, mm. <laughs> like oh, things could be said there, but okay, moving on. <laughs> uh. And dot, dot, dot. <laughs> well, so you've blown everybody away with Rao. That's mm. the person that we're always going to know you most for. But over the course of seven years, you've gone on to voice Sarah Arlington, mm-hmm. who makes a significant impact as the Paragon counterpart to the more passionate and stubborn Thomas. And moving into Princess Thieves, you get to inhabit the first incarnation of the indomitable gender-fluid wizard Merlain. And we've heard from other cast members that Alex sometimes has people in mind for specific roles. Sometimes he's not sure and has people audition to see what works best. Uh, how do you remember the process happening that you got to inhabit those roles, two more potent female characters that were nonetheless very different from the experience of Giant Purple Tiger? <laughs> Is Sarah really that different from Harrell? I feel like they they would get along really well. Sarah, mm-hmm. I think coming off of Rao, I think... I don't know that Alex wrote the role for me, but I, there wasn't a lot of discussion. I think if I hadn't been able to pull it off, he would have recast. But I think he was pretty confident that I could play the role of Sarah without too much issue. And, you know, I tried a, di- a couple different voices before settling on her particular style of speaking. And that was never, it didn't seem like an audition per se. It was just like, here's this role. This is what I think you should do. Mm-hmm. try it out let's do it and i think unless i had been god awful at it um it would have been you know he would have recast it but i wasn't so clearly i stuck with it mm-hmm. sarah was a joy to play she was she's very different from me in her family dynamic but the steel that she has is so admirable I mean, she's just somebody I wish I could be when I grew up. Like, mm-hmm. she's really cool. Merlane. Oh. oh, that was hard. So I think Alex really wanted me to be Merlane. And I potentially wrote the role for me. And I struggled with the voice for that. And um, mm. that is why she has become gender fluid. Is because I 
finally just said, I, I can't do the way I can't do the voice you the way you want me to. I just mm. can't. This is not working. And I was getting infinitely frustrated. And it was becoming more of a challenge. And I think I know I was getting very frustrated. And I have a feeling Alex was getting frustrated with my frustration. And it was just to the point where I said, I can't, I can't do this. Like, I cannot do this character in any sort of way that is going to be a good performance because I'm, I'm just not, I can't get into the character. I can't get mm. into her anymore. And I, it was such a hard thing because I, I love the character of Merlaine and I love the idea of her and I just could not pull off the voice. And I was really, really struggling with my voice at that time with other, like with my health and everything. And it was just, my mental health was also just, and it was just like everything on top of it and and just not being able to pull off the accent the way he wanted me to because he had a vision in mind and he had a vision for who care who she would be and how she would sound and i could not pull it off like mm. it just it wasn't happening mm. and so it was it was a hard thing to basically say i need to step down because mm. this is not the right role for me I can't do it to the best of my ability to match up with the rest of the cast because they're doing so better, so much better. And I'm just going to bring this down. Like I'm going to bring the project down by my lack of ability to do this right. And that was sort of a, a moment where I had to just be humble and say like, no, I can't. Mm. So it sucked. If it's any uh, consolation and, for the time that you spent with the character, it never came across to me as a performance that was struggling. Mm. It, it, it doesn't come off from the text, so to speak, from the audio drama. And uh, I completely respect the line of thinking behind that, uh, your decision there. And I think it's kind of fortuitous that we brought up uh, Doctor Who in one of our tangents beforehand, because mm. to me, like your time with Melaine is not one that is like, okay, that was a misfire. We went down that road and now we've kind of righted things. It's more that that is actually still part of Melaine's character. Mm. And I would say that it wasn't a disservice. I think it was just as valuable and worthy an insight to who she is or who she can be or rather mm -hmm. who they can be and at this point we have seen Merlane in a, num a number of different forms and seeing mm -hmm. your time with them it doesn't feel like oh that was a bit of an odd one it's sort of like how <laughs> my time with I mentioned how I went back and did the completionist run of Doctor Who and was like, okay, I'm going to do this thing at the end where I do a sort of ranking of the different Doctors who, and like which ones I thought were better, like mm -hmm. do a fully informed like analysis. And by the end of it, I realized I could feasibly make an argument for why they're all the best. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't actually come away with any feeling of, this person sucked or anything like that and like yeah. even Paul McGann for the limited <laughs> time you see him in like visual form is a delight and I was thinking like no I can totally see why everyone is their 
favorite person. And it also, to me, in terms of seeing the grander characterization of the Doctor over all these different forms, it felt like you can't take out any one element of it. And so as much as you struggled and as much as like it was a decision came to that I think is completely valid, I will nevertheless say that you really are a part of Merlane and I was really like, I really enjoyed your time with them. Yeah. D- doubling down on what Toby just said a second ago, you're, you're apologizing and saying, I just didn't feel like I could inhabit the role. The Doctor Who metaphor really works there because it feels like you're saying, yeah, so I was the Chris Eccleston version of the Doctor. I wasn't very good. And you're thinking to yourself, what are you talking about? Chris Eccleston was great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I feel like Matt Smith would have been better, but Peter Capaldi was all right. Like, meh, you know. <laughs> see? See? I kind of understand under, like little bits of Doctor Who. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Look, just say um, wibbly wobbly timey wiry. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Tenet, something, something, something. Scarves, something, something, something. <laughs> the polarity of the neutron flow. It's all good. Yeah. And I, you know, and I, I give, I give, I will give, I will give Alex some credit for that. I'm sure a lot of it was blood, sweat and tears over the editing. Cause I'm sure there were a lot of really bad takes and I, I, he was very good at directing and he had to probably do a lot of coaching, like say the line, just like this, say the line, just like this, say the line, just like this. Cause I compare it pretty well. But it was, it was just for the amount of effort and time that I was putting in and he was putting in, it didn't feel like it was really going to be beneficial for me to play it long term. So yeah, I, I appreciate what you said. And I, and I, I'm glad that it doesn't feel incongruous with the rest of the rest of it. But, um, but yeah, it was, it was one of those moments where you kind of coming to terms with what is best for the bigger picture and what is best for myself and my mental health and my health physically and what is best for Alex's time and and energy spending editing all of this crap that I'm putting out like let's just let's just call it a wash and start over and like scrub it come to another character I mean if it's, if it's just a source of stress then yeah you have to do yeah. what's yeah. best for the best of the circumstances and best for everybody yeah. involved and he I know I think Alex is the one that I mean he he can do like an Ian McKellen impression impress impersonation impression whatever and i was like that's that's what it should sound like i want to i want to sound like ian mckellen but female mm-hmm. but also i'm not british and also i'm not nearly that cool but also i kind of want to sound like this but also i don't sound like that and so yeah that's kind of where that's kind of where i left it with merlane and i it was fun while it lasted, but it was also not fun. <laughs> At the end, it was really not fun. And I, I'm i glad that it was able to be reshuffled and, and that she was a mystical being that could be shifting around and, and redone in a way that, that still fit with the story. Because, yeah, it was, a whole, it was a whole headache. <laughs> have you listened yeah. to Maya's interpretation yet? I have not. I should. I- Obviously. Yes, well, you you, sh- you should absolutely listen to it, but on top of that, uh, when you get a chance, listen to the interview that we did with Maya. It, it was unusual because she'd only actually played like two roles at this point, but she was champing at the bit and just like, no, 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 that's fine. Let's get you on the 
podcast. We'd love to talk to you about many other things as well because you're a stunt actress and that's awesome. But she shared with us and we shared with everybody else the piece that she did when she was trying to find Merlane's voice. And it mm-hmm. is the funniest thing <laughs> you will ever listen to because she is playing this dirty old woman talking about okay i'm i'm, I'm not going to spoil it for you i'm, mm. I'm going to let you go into it unencumbered yeah. and you will okay. just be blown away it's a treat for later no. yeah exactly okay, okay. put it above yeah. the avengers ones <laughs> i will honestly, get to it yeah honestly yeah kind of <laughs> um well, okay. we mentioned a moment ago that you didn't necessarily think that Sarah was that different from Haral, but this question that Toby added about how he's framing it as Haral's journey involved finding a way to heal from her own pain, and Sarah herself has a, a healing and soothing effect on people around them. Did you feel that kind of transition in moving from one to the other? How, how to talk a little bit more about inhabiting Sarah then? Hmm. Oh boy. Um, so Sarah, like I said, is the kind of person I wish I could be. Mm-hmm. She was playing her was like wish fulfillment. Mm. Like this is the kind of person that if I had another lifetime, I would want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, she's definitely. Again, I, I did sort of channel like a little bit of my mom, just a little bit, because my mom is the quintessential mom. Like mm-hmm. she, I'm one of eight children. Oh, goodness. Right. And my mom is a type of person who will adopt anybody. People just gravitate towards her because she is so loving and maternal and genuine and sweet and also she raised eight kids, so she's got that steel. Mm-hmm. She's not quite like Sarah in a lot of ways, but she's definitely got that sort of don't mess with her because she mm-hmm. will put you in the ground like she will. She raised four boys and four girls, and she's not afraid to, you know, let you know, you know, and she was a teacher for many years. And so, mm-hmm. like, she's she's not afraid to assert her authority when she needs to, but she's also, like, this very loving person. And so... There is this this level of velvet gauntlet mm. of like it's so soft and yet so strong that you can sense that and you can feel that and like I I have struggled and continue to struggle with mental health. Mm. This has been going on for years. And there have been good times and bad times. And the last few years have been really rough. Working on Sarah was kind of a weird time because while I do struggle with mental health, I also have a tendency to help people Mm. who are also struggling with mental health. So I end up becoming a counselor, not officially, but like a counselor to people. Yeah. So. I will and inevitably find people. And my mom even said, she's like, you tend to, your friends all seem to have all these problems and you, and you end up wanting to help all of them. 
and then you you yourself are like heavily medicated um but it's it's this weird like dichotomy where i know what people are going through because i've been through so much myself not exactly the same but like i can relate to mental health struggles because of the ones that i deal with and so you know and i I tend to be kind of pragmatic and practical and can approach things in a certain way and so people tend to come to me and open up about certain things so i end up becoming the person that they come to and then i help them while still dealing with my own demons um so it's a weird thing that sort of overlays sarah in the fact that she has her own demons that she's dealing with clearly but also has to kind of keep it together and help everybody else around her because she's got you know her her kids have their own issues and thomas has a plethora of issues <laughs> and that mess messed up and um <laughs> and so she she kind of does this this balancing act of keeping it together and all the while there's so much underneath the surface that she is that she's got going on like there's just the history that you know all the things she's gone through have made her stronger absolutely they've made her stronger but she's got to have like some level of PTSD on there. Like there's got to be something going on. Considering where she's come from, I can't imagine otherwise. Like the story never actually gets into it, but we know what Thomas had to go through in order to get her out of her situation. So, yeah. yeah. And And so, yeah, yeah. go for it. Well, no, I was going to say that when you were talking about your experience and how that contributed to informing on, Sarah's experience mm-hmm. I, I do know that as far as my dealing with my own stuff is concerned I've always found it easier to try and help people with their internal difficulties than it is to deal with my own mm-hmm. and that there's almost at least in my case there's almost a, a self-defense mechanism going on behind that in that I can't necessarily deal with my own pain and theirs so if I have an easier time dealing with theirs, then that lessens the overall load on me as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's a it's a distraction mechanism as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've also been I've also gone to therapy for so long, mm. off, off and on, that I've picked up a lot of t- t- tricks of the trade. So my last um, therapist actually was kind of laughing because he said, "You're basically doing my job for me." Like, why am I even here? Like, you can therapize yourself, and I don't even need to be in the room. And he actually said, you should probably go back to school to become a counselor, Mm. because you're basically already there. Like, you just need the license, and I could come see you, and then you could come see me, and then we would just have this, like, symbiotic relationship. (laughs) Um, Because he said, you basically already know, like, everything I'm going to tell you because you you've been and done this and and like I knew all like the paperwork and you know and he's like I have to report you as and if I'm going to be a danger to myself or others and do 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 and he was like yeah that's <laughs> what I was gonna 
say? And I was like, yeah, I'm just going to sign the form because I know the whole thing and the HIPAA and here you go. And he was like, I, uh, <laughs> what? what? <laughs> I'm like, this is not my first time in a therapist's office. Like, let's just go. Let's get on with it. <laughs> like, we're good. Let's go. Self-awareness so. is very useful, but I wouldn't say that that necessarily, like a lot of the time in therapy myself, particularly if I've got a lot of pent up stuff, mm-hmm. I just end up like unleashing it, letting it go. And my therapist knows enough to let me talk because a lot of the time, the important thing about therapy is just being able to externalize the problems. Mm-hmm. You can't actually work on these things unless you can manage to voice them. And maybe you can't just voice them to just anybody. Oh, yeah. Um, so the, uh, yeah. 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 I, I, I completely sympathize with the experience of I know my own problems, but often I need to be able to talk about them with someone that I feel safe with because I need to remind myself that I know what the answer is. Mm. Yep. And- yep. 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 hundred percent. hundred percent. You need to get the word vomit out because then <laughs> when you do, then you feel better because when you're, if you're like sick, then you need to like throw it up and then you're, you get it out and you're like, Oh, it's alphabet <laughs> soup. And now I just need to rearrange the letters and it's fine. Yeah. No, That's I a great metaphor. <laughs> kind of gross but also yeah, accurate yeah, yeah. the um, best metaphors are always gross <laughs> but yeah it sarah's a she's such an interesting character because coming at it from you know i am am currently and have been for a while singularly single and i've had relationships in the past and i've had good relationships and i've had bad relationships and i've had <sighs> complicated relationships but mm-hmm. I was in a relationship when I was working on Arlington and that relationship didn't pan out mm-hmm. um, it was same as the one with Greta um, and so it's <sighs> there was a, a bit of that that was brought into the characterization as well because when you're in a relationship and you get frustrated with the person you're with there's a lot of anger and a mm-hmm. lot of like there's a certain kind of anger that can only really come up with it when it's with a person you're like close to mm-hmm. rather than just like a random stranger on the internet thank you comment section for everything um but mm-hmm. also you know there's a certain level of just <sighs> It was kind of cathartic in a way to play her because it allowed you to externalize the stuff that you were going through without it being obvious. It was, it it was, it was a metaphorical experience in and of itself. And also I got to experience like that kind of a relationship being married, having kids, even though I've Mm -hmm. never been married and I've never had kids. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was a neat, like there, but for, you know, I could have, I could have had this sort of, obviously not quite to that level, but I could have, you know, this could have been a relationship situation I could have been in. I could have at some point been married and had children and been very frustrated with a spouse and instead I had a partner that I was very frustrated with, but whatever, you know, and that it it played out in a different way, but clearly it played out in a different way. Clearly (laughs) there was no uh, assassinations, but uh, (laughs) it did not all end in violence and tears, but it was, uh, yeah, yeah, (laughs) it was not, 
<laughs> Yikes. It's an interesting thing when you've got similar emotional stuff going on to what your character is experiencing. And then that comes through in like what you're portraying and what you're saying. I always wonder about the, I always wonder about actors and actresses when they're playing against somebody they're like romantically involved with in a romantic Mm. movie. And it's like, how is that going to play off? And then like, if they don't, if they end up breaking up and they're still playing off each other in a romantic movie, like how awkward is that going to be? Cause you know, there's that weird, like, how does that come through in their characterization? Anyway, I, I imagine for the most part that playing off of someone romantically in a movie sometimes leads to relationships, mm-hmm. but it also, but to, if especially if they continue to work together in that frame, it can also lead to the dissolution of relationships. Mm-hmm. I just I think about like the experience of Kenneth Branagh and Emma Thompson. Oh. How yeah. <laughs> my heart yeah exactly i i love them both and but i can also understand that there was very likely things going on behind the scenes that just led emma to going nope nope sorry not doing this emma thompson is my number one celebrity crush <laughs> and i cannot I, I i i i hate the movie love actually because as much as i love alan rickman nobody does emma thompson dirty like that like, <laughs> like that's my girl you don't hurt her you slime bag may he rest in peace but also oh that made me so angry <laughs> doing her dirty sorry moving on it's a very solid choice did you ever see crap i'm forgetting the name of the movie now but much it was about nothing well, no, Much Ado About Nothing is the classical. That was my first experience to Emma Thompson, uh, Emma Thompson as well. And it was amazing. <laughs> um, <laughs> I might have a thing for redheads, I'm just saying. <laughs> okay, fair. <laughs> Do you like? Making, uh, making similar sounds to the ones I will be making on Panther Soul, I assure you. It was... Now that I think about it, I think my first experience with Kenneth and Emma was actually not that one. It it was an action movie called uh, Dead Again. Technically, really more of a supernatural mystery thriller. But during recording, I was remembering some particularly action-filled scenes. Or something like that, where they played reincarnated versions of people in a past relationship... And Kenneth's putting on this American accent. I think they're both putting on American accents because it takes place in oh, no. America. Oh yeah. Well, I, I think they did okay. Like I haven't I haven't rewatched the movie in a very long time. Oh, but no. I I I kid because like I was just having this conversation before uh, recording with Sarah that I think one of my favorite things is British actors doing American accents, and I include the successful and not so successful varieties of that. Oh no, that looks horrifying. Sorry, I just googled that again, and I'm just like, oh no. Okay, it's fine. Everything's fine. I will not watch that. <laughs> I cannot. I, I, I don't know. I, I may rewatch it. it. It's got Robin Williams in it. It's got oh. some other good actors in there. Like, oh. I don't think it's. I don't think it's going to blow anybody's socks off. But I remember it as being a fairly entertaining movie. That may feel like a weird place to end our episode for today, but we really did just steamroll from one topic to the next. 
and I needed to find some place that would be a good stopping point while keeping the episodes to a decent length. So we'll call it there for today. Just for the record, the movie that I was originally going to ask Maureen about was a small affair called Peter's Friends, which not only includes a very young Kenneth Branagh and Emma Thompson, but also Hugh Laurie, Stephen Fry, and American comedian Rita Rudner. It stood out to me because Thompson was playing a very different kind of character than I was used to from her, and I wondered if this might be potentially been one of the first places that Emma and Kenneth worked in the same movie, and might have had sparks. Obviously, not a question that would have been part of our discussion on New Century, but, you know, we were having fun there, and I recommend that people check it out. Plenty of more fun to be had next time, as we get into part two of our questions from Maureen, plus over ten minutes of outtakes, to round out our time with the Purple Tiger. And to close us out, once more, something different. I've always been a big fan of Lindsay Sterling, but this was a collaboration that I was not familiar with, and it's one that Maureen turned me on to, among others. So for the first time, a piece of music picked out not by me, but by Maureen herself, as an expression of something powerful inside her that feels very natural to include as part of the discussion of Frau. Until next time, this is Lindsay Sterling with Andrew McMahon, stinging about something wild. You had your maps drawn You had other plans to hang your hopes on Every road they led you down felt so wrong So you found another way You've got a big heart The way you see the world It got you this far You might have some bruises And a few scars But you know you're gonna be okay And even though you're scared You're stronger than you know If you lost out where the lights are blinding Caught and all the stars are hiding That's what something
Just out where the lights are blinding Caught and all the stars are hiding That's when something wild calls you home If you're lost out where the lights are blinding